Shabbat Shalom, everybody. How are you guys? All right. You're doing that wonderful. Fantastic. You guys could be seated. I mean, unless you want to stand the whole entire time when I talk, but I'm kind of long-winded, so I wouldn't recommend it. If you move a little bit and you've got a, you know, an Apple Watch, Fitbit, one of the Nike things, like you can get your steps in while we're doing it. Um, I'm going to pace a little bit. That's what I do for those of you who are new. And for those of you who are new, you have come on the perfect Saturday. Why? Because we're going to tackle the topic of Christmas this Saturday. Now, for anybody who has been uh, in the Messianic walk, whatever you want to call yourself, obviously there's, there's multiple titles that all mean basically about the same thing. Um, the Messianic denomination, Hebrew roots, Hebraic roots, whatever. Um, Christian Zionists, there's, there's so many names that are out there, so many labels. Christmas is one of those topics that uh, you tackle pretty quickly on in that transition to that denomination. It's one of those that you get into right away. And so I'm going to get into this today. I can tell you that um, over the last uh, couple years, um, myself, Daniel Ephraim, and multiple other teachers around the movement have been examining this topic thoroughly and thoroughly and thoroughly and thoroughly and thoroughly. And there is an article that's going to come out next year uh, that's going to be a two-part, uh, um, two months worth, um, that's going to definitely be far more in-depth than this teaching is today, just for the sake of time, um, taking nine to ten pages worth of historical notes, biblical scriptures, things like that, and then trying to fit them into 35 to 45 minutes today. So um, the teaching today is called... All I Want for Christmas is, had to pick the most popular Christmas song by Mariah Carey to, uh, to kind of have the title um, for today. But since the inception of HFF, the goal has been to provide teaching resources for you to further your walk with Messiah. I don't care if you've been in this movement like Ephraim has his entire life or this is the first time you've ever walked into a Sabbath church our goal as a church is to provide teaching resources that are rooted in biblical truths, historical facts, and principles that each family can take, study, and pray, and apply. We have striven to look at all sides objectively. And I'm blessed, like I said, to have guys like Ephraim and Daniel to help look at topics from multiple perspectives. If you think that Ephraim, Daniel, and I are some sort of like echo chamber for each other, we are absolutely the opposite. I am probably the biggest pain in Ephraim's rear uh, that he has ever experienced in his life. I know Daniel is mine. So when we get together and we talk, there is a brotherly love and a mutual respect that allows us to really, really go at it. And that has really forced all of us to grow. It's forced me to grow. And so we strive to go through that in anything like Christmas, in any of these teachings, when we talk about is the sacrificial system done away with, which was a two-part series that Daniel did. When we're talking about things that are core issues in our denomination, not only here locally as our community, but nationally and internationally, this is not something that we just wake up one morning and we put together. This is something that we go through a lengthy process before we stand at this pulpit and we deliver it. 
It is our responsibility to lead in a way that is respectful and honoring to God. And we take that very seriously. I'm only 39 years old, but I take that very seriously. If you do something in your home because of something I said and I was wrong, I take that seriously. I'm not above reproach. I definitely apologize when I mess up. But today, we're going to tackle a huge topic in our movement. You know, if you've been around HFF for any period of time for the last five to six years, both our Norman, our main campus here, and then our satellite campus in Dallas, we have refused to take a theological stance on the calendar, the stance on the pronunciation of the name of God, and many other topics that have been crucial cornerstone theological pieces for the Messianic Hebrew Roots Movement. We haven't done so because we don't have strong convictions on them ourselves. Each one of us as leaders of this congregation have very strong convictions on those. Sometimes we're in agreement and sometimes we are not. But we have not taken stances on them as a congregation and as core values for this church from the inception of this church because they're non-salvation issues. They are not issues that we should be dividing our greater community over. They are not issues that we should break fellowship over. We have many families who attend both of our campuses that land differently on all of these topics. And yet every Sabbath, you can look around and you can see each other and we can come together and we can have corporate worship. And those topics are not topics that are debated and used to divide. But yet, there's one big old one we have not addressed in this congregation yet. We've addressed the sacred name. We've addressed the fact that we refuse to take a stance upon that. If you want to say Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahuwah, Adonai, Lord, God, Hashem, El Elyon, El Shaddai, all the above, good for you. If you want to say Yeshua, Yahshua, Jesus, good for you. That is not something we are going to divide over in this congregation. But we haven't addressed Christmas. And anybody who knows me knows I don't shy away from hard topics. And I am going to read my notes a little bit more today than I normally do because of the severity of this topic because how this topic has been used to divide churches, congregations, families, husbands and wives, I've seen it on every level. I've seen husbands divorce their wives because they still kept Christmas. This is a very serious topic that we need to be open and honest about. Christmas is one of the first things that is done away by a Messianic believer. Right up there with transitioning from going to church on Sundays into honoring the Sabbath. Whether you still do both, and some do both. But that's one of the first things. As well as eating kosher. You immediately stop keeping Christmas. I, for one, actually stopped keeping and celebrating Christmas before I became a Messianic. About two years. I have not personally celebrated Christmas in, in 20 years. My children have never celebrated Christmas. And I did that before I ever became a Messianic. I did that before I ever stepped foot in a Sabbath group. After spending years researching everything, 
that I could find. I've read fossilized customs a hundred times over. I've read Alexander Hislop's books a hundred times over. I've read the papers by Lou White and Michael Rood and multiple other teachers out there. And they have the right to end where they end with their conclusion. And I won't speak ill of them. Because this teaching is not a pro-anti-Christmas argument. I want to take a look at Christmas and how it should or should not impact our relationship with our immediate family and our non-messianic family. Of course, I'm going to give a disclaimer because already this week, just by having all I want for Christmas as, and I, I know, I, the teaser image on Facebook and social media, it was, a, it was meant to spark interest. It was marketing and branding. It is what it is. But I've already had people telling me what this teaching is and what this teaching is not. I've never spoken to them. So a quick disclaimer. This is not a pro or anti-Christmas teaching. Each household should pray, study, and walk as the Holy Spirit is leading them in the commandments of God. That's been my stance on everything since the inception of HFF. Christmas is no different. The feast days are no different. My goal and my point is not to change your mind on whether or not you should or should not celebrate Christmas. So if you are seeing this teaching, hearing this teaching, watching this teaching through that lens, you're missing the entirety of my point and my goal. And lastly, in my disclaimer, see, I even said it slow. It wasn't like, you just signed away your life. My family has not celebrated Christmas in over 20 years. I've been researching this topic now for at least five to six years pretty in depth. And where I personally have come out, we still don't celebrate Christmas. So this is not a pro or anti-Christmas message. All right, now that I've gotten all of that out of the way, for those who have been in this walk for a long period of time, if this is like your first Saturday here, I apologize for that. Normally we don't give disclaimers from the, uh, the pulpit. Normally it's just whatever the Lord has, he has. But because this has been such a divisive topic in the denomination of Messianic Hebrew roots, I just felt like it was necessary to, to make sure that you understood my heart before we get into this teaching and understood what my goal was. The word Christmas is not in the Bible. There is no command to celebrate the birth of Messiah. Although this is a bit of an argument from silence, there's also no command not to celebrate it. In Luke chapter 2, we do see that the angels came to the shepherds in the field announcing that the Messiah was born, giving glory to God. We actually see that in that moment that the heavens and the earth came together, they opened up and the shepherds were able to see and they saw the chorus of heaven singing glory to God. The angels were rejoicing with the shepherds. There is a biblical precedent from Luke chapter 2 to rejoice in the birth of Messiah. There is no command, and there is no other biblical text to tell us the annual remembrance of the birth of Messiah was ever celebrated after that. Not one. Now, there's a lot of things that are void from the gospel accounts but there is no other scripture that talks about the fact on an annual cycle. The annual cycle comes up when it comes to the feasts and to the festivals, to the rhythms of God. That comes up. 
The disciples were with Yeshua keeping the Passover unleavened bread. During Hanukkah, Yeshua was walking in the courts. There is reference to that, but there is no other gospel account of the celebration of Yeshua's birth after that time. We also know that traditional Judaism doesn't acknowledge annual celebrations of birthdays. They do, however, keep track of age. You know, a lot of times they'll say, well, well Jews, don't, Jews don't celebrate birth. They don't keep track of age. Well, then how do you have a bar and bat mitzvah? Just some random year? No, it's, it's at a specific time, a specific age, and there's specific requirements, and that's been handed down throughout history. So we, we do know that to an extent, Judaism does mark age, even though they don't have regular religious-based celebrations. So celebrating the birth of Messiah isn't bad, but it's also not commanded. The feasts are commanded. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best. I'm not Daniel. I'm not, I don't have a history degree. And so I'm going to try to pronounce some names of some first and second century authors. And after I try to pronounce them the first time, I'm going to call them like D and H. And again, there's an article that's coming out that's got more of this information in it. But I'm from Ohio, and then I lived in Tennessee, and pronouncing old school names is just rough for me, guys. It's just real rough. Many have speculated that December 25th is the melding of pagan customs and attached to Sol Invictus and Saturnalia. Some have even said that it is the celebration of the winter solstice. Dies not Alice Invicti was placed on December 25th in 354 A.D., before that, prior to 354 A.D., the Chaldean fasting inscriptions say that Dies Not Invicti was on August 8th, 9th, 28th, December 11th, and possibly even October 19th. Emperor Aurelian honored the sun every four years on October 19th through 22nd. This is... This is prior to 354. 354 is that, that special year if you've been in the Messianic movement, Hebrew roots, Sabbath keeping, whatever you want to call it. That was Constantine's era. And a lot of times we go back to Constantine and we talk about Constantine, and, and that is 100% correct. In 354, that's when all of that came together. But prior to that, it was kept in various different times throughout the year. Saturnalia was not on December 25th. Macrobius says that Saturnalia was celebrated on December 17th. It was a three-day festival. The fasting inscriptions state that it lasted until December 24th. King Hakan the Good placed Yule, a Germanic festival, to the god Odin on December 25th in the 10th century, roughly 1,000 years after the year that Messiah was born. Before the 10th century, Yule was based upon the cycles of the moon and the date, and it changed yearly, just kind of like our feast cycles do. It's a perversion of it, but it's like how our feast cycles are commanded by God, where we look for the moon, and on the first day of this or the seventh day of this, it changes every year. The winter solstice had no significance in any ancient Roman festivals. There was no specific date and no specific celebrations planned. In fact, it was a topic that was debated and argued heavily amongst the elite. 
The Julian calendar placed the solstice on December 25th during the time of Constantine in 354 AD. Yet Pliny the Elder put the solstice on December 16th and Calmella placed the solstice on the 23rd. So a lot of times we talk about this as if we know 100% that everybody was in agreement. There was a council that came together and, and all these guys came in and the wise men came up and made this decision for us. It was religious-based. It was to blend cultures and religions and stuff like that. However, most of the, I mean, I've been, I've been a Sabbath keeper since 2007. I have heard many teachings, many studies on this. And most of the time, those are the two main things that they say, well, those were just melded in with the celebration of the birth of Yeshua. So celebrating the birth of Yeshua is bad and anything to do with December 25th and any type of celebration at that point of time is considered a sin. It's considered pagan. It's considered dangerous. We shouldn't do it. Don't teach your children. You're mixing cultures. You're doing all these things. It's Roman I've heard all of that. Yet, history, facts, say that before 354 AD, they did not align with that day. In fact, most of the cultures were doing different things. If prior to 354 AD, there was, no, there was the celebration of Messiah's birth, and it was on December 25th, how did they arrive at that date? If it didn't have all these pagan origins, if they weren't just taking a festival from some other god or some other lower deity, made up, whatever, if they weren't just blending something and they were celebrating before the time of Constantine in 354 AD on that date, how did they arrive there? That's a question we should be asking. It's written by two historical authors, Dionysus and Daniel. How do I pronounce? Hip, hip, Hippolytus. I was actually, see, thank you. Just your presence walking in helped me actually pronounce those. Hippolytus believed that Jesus was conceived on the same day that he died. They believed that he was conceived and died on March 25th. They chose to place the nativity out and celebrate it during that time, January 6th. Yet, a lot of times we say, well, that, that's, a, that's a Catholic influence. That's a Roman influence. No, it was Jewish tradition during that time that a person died on the same day they were conceived. That was not Roman. That was not Greek. That was not pagan. That was a Jewish tradition. It was not a pagan influence or some other culture, non-biblical God culture that had the influence on December 25th. It was a Jewish one. But yet Judaism as a whole still did not recognize Yeshua as the Messiah. So these were followers of the way. These were, these were people who, who were grafted in and Jews of the time who became believers in Jesus. They held to those traditions and those customs and those thoughts because that was something that was widely taught in their culture at that time. What about the Christmas tree? You know, every year this church has wintergreen trees, evergreen trees up on the stage. They're just made out of wood. They're not decorated. They're not even colored, but they're just cutouts. And every year, you know, on the broadcast, somebody is like, Oh my gosh, why do you have a pagan tree on your, on your thing? 
Well, first off, all trees were created by God. So if it became pagan, that's because we perverted it. God didn't pervert his own creation. God made creation beautiful and perfect. We're the ones who are attempting to get back to the garden and dwell as co-heirs with God. We're the ones trying to get rid of our flesh, get rid of our sin, get rid of our shame in order to be cleansed so that we could stand before our holy God. We're the ones on that journey right now. We are. God has always been perfect. God has always been magnificent. And God did not create something to worship other gods. Hear the word of the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree in the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak. They have, it, they have to be carried because they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. Jeremiah 10, 1 through 5. This verse has been the verse that has been shared thousands of times by almost every ministry that I know who is not pro-Christmas to say that we should not have a Christmas tree in our house. But let's examine this passage without some sort of preconceived notion, some preconceived ideology or theology. We see that we're not to learn the ways of the nations. We are not to be dismayed by the things in the heavens like they are. And we are not to learn the customs of the nations because they are vain. There's a lot. I mean, we, we could do a series for weeks on that alone, just in us examining our own denomination, our own community, our own walk. I've been in this since 2007, and I can tell you every blood moon, every sliver moon, every whatever, we're dismayed by because it's the coming of the Lord. What does it mean? Books are sold. Mysteries unlocked. There's keys. Everything. Hear it from a Messianic Jewish perspective because that makes me better than somebody. We're not to be dismayed by the things we see in the heavens. We're not to learn the customs of the nation because they are vain. Christmas could be considered a custom. It certainly is not a commandment. Yet we adapt the customs of America. Hello. Welcome to the July 4th weekend. Independence Day. Woo! Customs of Israel when it comes to Purim. Can somebody show me one scriptural reference where it says that we are to dress up on Purim? I haven't found it. Can somebody, and I'm, that's, that's the safe one. And obviously, drunkenness is absolutely, con, it's, it's absolutely condemned in the Bible. But in Israel, during Purim, it becomes a gigantic party. It's basically Halloween. Can somebody show me in the Bible where 
we're supposed to be drinking during Purim, dressing up during Purim. What about Hanukkah? We know Hanukkah is mentioned in the Bible, but can somebody show me where donuts has anything to do with the temple? Those are customs, right? Donuts, latkes, everything's fried. Fried, fried, fried. Deep fry, you're deep fried, deep fried. Why? Because it's Hanukkah. Yeah. And again, I celebrate Hanukkah, so I know, I know it seems like I'm, I'm mocking. I'm, I'm definitely not. I'm just, I'm looking at something, trying to use equal weights and measures through the lens of examining things in the Scripture. That's all I'm trying to do. What about Memorial Day? What about Israel Independence Day? What about Tish B'Av? We can go on and on and on. These are things that are absolutely customs. And I'm not saying customs are bad. I'm not saying customs are, are right. That's, that's a whole other teaching. We've already gone through a three-part series on customs, traditions, and commandments. That's not the point of what I'm stating here. The point of what I'm saying is, why do we treat the customs of Christmas different than those of America and Israel, whether it be political, whether it be, you know, social, or just historical? Why do we judge the matter through a different lens with different weights? Why? If we imply apply Jeremiah's instructions here, we cannot be distressed or dismayed by Christmas or a Christmas tree any more than we can be distressed and dismayed over the celebration and the dressing up of Purim. Or eating nothing but fried food like latkes and donuts and everything else in Hanukkah. And again, I know people who take this mentality, this logical and rational approach, and they throw anything that's, out, that's, in the, that's not in the Bible and not a commandment out. They don't celebrate anything. They don't celebrate their wedding anniversary. They don't celebrate uh, anything. Guys, I started off this teaching. We've got to find a balance. That balance might be different for your home for your home, for your home, for your home, for your home. But we have to start finding a balance in how we approach the Word of God and how we allow God's Holy Spirit to actually write that into our heart. We've got to find balance in how we judge matters. Jeremiah 10, 3 through 5a, we're going to examine that. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with, hammers and, with a hammer and nails so it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They have to be carried, and they cannot walk. Anybody know when the first actual record of a Christmas tree was? Nobody? 1561. Four score and 7,000, I mean, 1561 is the first record of a Christmas tree. 
There's no historical evidence that any early religions or cultures used or promoted evergreens as sacred trees, let alone that they had them associated with December 25th in any way. The early Germanic tribes did believe that oak trees were sacred and indeed used to worship the god Zeus. Yet Isaiah tells us that we are supposed to be like oaks of righteousness. So oaks themselves were created pure. It's, again, humans who perverted the creation through using them to worship other gods through the use of something that was created for a function and a purpose by Yahweh Elohim for another idol. They used it in idolatry. It's more likely that Jeremiah was referencing the historical practice of ancient religions and cultures to create Asherah poles and carved idols. Those were extremely common and didn't look anything like Christmas trees. Nothing like them. In fact, if you were to go and Google that, that practice actually would be something a lot, it would be a lot more like a totem pole style. Almost every tribe in every community had one. They believed that if they could place that, some of them believed in the center of their camp, Some of them believed at the entrance of their camp. It was a boundary stone to mark their God, the power of their God. And so when Yahweh, Adonai, Hashem, moves across all these boundary stones, it's him showing your gods have no power. You keep creating these idols out of your own hands, and here I am. I'm the creator of all. I have no boundaries. I can float along the surface of the water all the way around the globe multiple times. And if you're a flat guy from one side to the other, he can do both. He can do both. If you're a tortoise shell guy, he can go up and back. And if you're a triangle guy, whatever, he can do that too. Look, again, we're not going to take stances on stuff like this. Why? Because it shouldn't be breaking our fellowship. Guess what? That's finding balance and maturity in being individuals in fellowship with each other. That not everything has to divide us. Not everything needs to make me more righteous than you. It's a large stretch for us to take the words of Jeremiah and apply them to a Christmas tree. Why would Jeremiah be writing about a practice that wouldn't come into fruition until well after a thousand years after he's gone? When there was a custom that took place during his life that did involve cutting down trees carving trees, decorating trees, putting them up inside your communities, putting them up inside your camping areas. Why would, it's a large stretch to make that, that tie-in. And since there's no other place in the scripture that references anything like a Christmas tree, it's, it seems again, kind of out of place. If that was the intention of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 10, 5b, to close out the passage there. 
Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. Okay, so let's take the other side of that approach. If you believe that a Christmas tree is evil, then you must also heed Jeremiah's other counsel in the same verse. They are not evil. They are not good. We are not to be afraid of them. We are not to be dismayed by them. And we certainly do not need to give them powers that they were never given at creation. I have heard and I have said personally, well, you realize that when you bow down to get the gifts under the tree, you're kneeling in worship to the tree. That's come out of my mouth. Remember, earlier on in, in, in one of my sermons multiple years ago, I admitted to everybody that my, my eldest daughter, who is 12, she'll be 13 in November, she told my grandma that she was, my mom, sorry, told my mom, her grandma, that she was pagan when she was two because grandma kept Christmas. Why? Because at that time, I too believed if you bowed your knee to that tree to get a present, you were creating an idol out of the tree. But yet, when we play baseball on a weekend and there is a tree next to the field and I kneel down to talk to my kids, I'm not worshiping that tree. I'm also not worshiping those kids. I'm getting on their level. I'm reaching something. When I go into my son's closet and I go to reach for his box of Nerf bullets, I'm not worshiping the Nerf bullets. I'm not worshiping his clothing. I'm not worshiping anything that's in there. There are a lot of things when you look at Christmas. People will get into wreaths, Santa Claus, all these different things, St. Nick's stockings. There's a lot of elements to that, that we have gone to great length to come up with whether it's good or it's not good. I simply don't have the time today to be able to get into all of those. I would love to, but I also know that some of you like your Sabbath naps, so I won't keep you that long. However, sometime after the first of the year, there is a two-month issue coming out that will go into detail. It will have a bibliography with all the sources for you to read yourself. It does address the Yule Log. It addresses Santa Claus. It addresses all these things. And again, guys, I want to reiterate in the middle of the teaching because there's some who've probably already gotten off online and some who have already walked out, and there's probably some who will only come in right now. These resources are not pro or anti the celebration of Christmas. I'm not in authority over your home. I don't have any say-so in what you do or do not do in your home. That's not the point. The point is to take an objective look at something that has caused massive division and see maybe, just maybe, if we need to reevaluate how we approach it. Maybe. Maybe not. You may listen to this today and you may say, you know what? I knew you were a pagan from the get-go. I saw your Bethel haircut. 
I saw you wear corduroy and it's not 100% linen. That's okay. I, I won't think any less of you if you have a different perspective than me on something in the Bible. I respect your right to have that decision. Respect is a key thing here, guys. We have to respect the creation the same way the creator respects the creation. And that includes each one of us as human beings, especially in our denomination. We're just a small portion, a remnant right now. A remnant with mighty power if we could actually come together. The adversary seeks discord. God seeks unity. I'm not talking about uniformity. I'm not talking about creating a cult. I've already mentioned multiple times, you make your decisions. But the birth of Messiah is 100% biblical. The announcement from heaven is biblical. Men came with gifts that were fit for a king who was born. The Bible clearly tells us that. Yet, there's no command to commemorate it. There's also no other scriptures to say that they ever did celebrate the birth of Yeshua after that. I also don't believe that we can label the celebration of the birth of Messiah a sin or idolatry. There should be more emphasis in our walk on the birth of Messiah. God became flesh. And we know that one of the problems that we have experienced over the last couple of years is that young adults who profess to believe in Yeshua and adults and families, people who grew up in the church, grew up Baptist, grew up Pentecostal, grew up in these different areas, that they have come into keeping the Sabbath, into uh, pursuing the Torah, and they leave Yeshua out. There are ministries right now who have basic elements of how they teach the Bible, and there is zero mention of the Messiah in it. You cannot be a messianic, which literally means to be of Messiah, if you do not look through the lens of Messiah. There is already a religion for that. It's Judaism. There's already a religion for those who believe that the, that, that the Jews were cast away and Israel was cast away. It's called Christianity. And inside both of those, there is a lot of different perspectives, a lot of different ideologies, a lot of different theologies. God became flesh. It should be taught. It should be celebrated just like we celebrate the other monumental things that Jesus did. We celebrate the fact that he gave himself as the Passover lamb. We celebrate that he hung on a cross and died so that we could go through the greater exodus of sin and death. We celebrate that he rose again. We celebrate that he, he showed himself and then ascended to the right hand of the Father 40 days after that. We celebrate that he sent the Holy Spirit on the Feast of Pentecost, Shavuot. We celebrate all of these things that Yeshua did through his life, but the birth of Yeshua is taboo. We should celebrate the birth of Yeshua the same way we celebrate the other things he did. 
God became flesh, and he tabernacled with his creation. I don't care if you celebrate it in the spring. I don't care if you celebrate it in the summer. I don't care if you celebrate it in the fall. I don't care if you celebrate it on a feast. I don't care if you celebrate it on December 25th. I don't care if you decide this afternoon you're going to throw him a birthday party in your house. We should celebrate baby Jesus the same way we celebrate King Jesus. Because there had to be the baby before there could be the king. And God knew all of it before he sent. And I will never apologize for standing up for my king. I will never apologize for teaching you and pushing you to look through the lens of Jesus, Yeshua, Hamashiach first. The lawgiver is always, always the one you should seek after. If you seek after the lawgiver and you truly want to hear what he taught and see, you will see his law. You will see his commandments. You will learn to walk them out. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, which the lawgiver said was coming, was for our benefit, we will be forever changed every day of our life. But you have to want to. You have to want to continue to grow. You have to want to continue to be molded. You have to want God to make you new every day. Some of us arrive to a stopping point, whether it be at the age of 18 or it be at the age of 35 or it be at the age of 62 or 80. I tell my wife and my children all the time, I want to be learning and growing on the journey every day until I take my last breath, whenever that might be. Hope I don't live to be super old, but I think she wants me to stay around for a while. Or at least build a 401k or something. She laughs because that's legit conversations we have all the time. Christmas has been used as a sword to cut families apart. My two-year-old daughter called my mother a pagan. The woman who raised me prayed for me when I was smoking weed every day, when I was going to the club, when I was doing mushrooms, when I told God to leave me alone. The same woman who was on her knees praying for me every day. And one of the reasons why I'm even here today, why I rededicated my life to Jesus, my daughter called her a pagan. Because of what I taught my daughter. We can't go and fellowship with them in December because we'll be mixing the holy and the non-holy. And yet, as I continue to study, I find that some of the information that has been given and taught as historical fact is just not complete. And so I've hurt my own witness in my own family. And with 5,000 friends on social media every year, some say, why are you doing a teaching on Christmas in July? It is literally the farthest place away from Christmas that I can get. You're fortunate because I wanted to do it on Christmas Eve. And Daniel said no. Again, back to the whole start of the message. We learned from each other. I was coming out of the gate. The birth of Messiah should be celebrated Christmas should not be a sword to cut families apart. It has become a topic that we have used to hurt others, to share incorrect information and impugn our own witnesses. Don't believe me? Take one day and spend it on social media in December with all of your Sabbath-keeping friends. Good people. 
Most of them are really good people. But when it comes to that season, when it comes to Easter, oh my gosh. The comments we even deleted from, from the image today, they hadn't even heard the teaching. They don't even know what my perspective was. Mixing the profane right after the Torah portions of Bam. Nobody's mixing anything. I don't celebrate Christmas. So why are we making accusations before a teaching, guys? This happens regularly because we get this conviction in our heart that we want to please God so much that we have to go out and get in front of something. We impugn our witness. The birth of Messiah was a time where the heavens and the earth came together to celebrate what God was doing for all in the past, for all who live in the present, and for all who will come in the future. The Redeemer of Israel came to draw Israel back, yet we have, as a denomination, used that to be division and to sow discord. Yet we're commanded to not sow division and discord in the body of Messiah. Should you celebrate Christmas? I'm not giving the authority over your home. I don't get to make that call. Not just for Christmas, but for almost anything else. Daniel doesn't get to make that call. Ephraim doesn't get to make that call. Whoever you watch online and you buy their DVDs and you do whatever, they don't get to make that call either. But as one of the pastors of this community and one who travels and has traveled for many years throughout the larger Messianic community all over the United States of America, I have been given that authority and the responsibility to plead with anybody in this community and online. Plead. I don't care if you celebrate Christmas or not. That's your choice. But please no longer use the birth of Messiah to divide your families, to divide your marriages, to divide your churches, to divide your home. Please do not use the birth of Messiah to justify why you can be rude to fellow believers or non-believers. The cashier at Walmart had no idea what was about to happen to her when she said Merry Christmas. I don't celebrate Christmas. Look, the cashier does not want to have a theological conversation with you. They want you to pay and get out of their way. And by the way, hitting them over the head is not the right way to get them. Hey, how's your day going? Oh, I'm really tired. I'm really stressed. I've been on my feet for eight hours. Can I pray for you? No. Okay. I understand. I respect that. What's your name? You go and you pray for them. We have got to stop justifying inappropriate behavior as believers under some sort of guise of being Phineas. Yes, I understand Phineas. He is a noble character in the Bible. But not everybody in the Bible was Phineas. And if in our community and if our national, international group, if we're all Phineas's, then where's the Moses? Where's the Miriam? Where's the Yeshua? Where's the Peter? Where's the Joshua? Where's the Matthew? Where's the Samaritan? 
Jesus used all of them. All of them. He didn't make Matthew into John. He didn't make Paul into Andrew. He didn't ask them to become the other person. He brought them on a journey to transform what he had already put inside of them from their inception. And guess what? Paul killed people. But yet, we can read from Paul. But if possibly one holiday or one celebration is just a custom, why do we treat that like it is the, the forbidden hell fire and brimstone, one foot in and Jesus can't save you, but yet Paul, well, he was redeemed. God is trying to unite Israel back to him. God is trying to unite families and husbands and wives and turn fathers back to their sons and sons to their fathers. God is trying to change us from our flesh and sometimes we act in ways that bring shame upon the very God that our intention was to honor. We have to examine our behavior first and foremost as individuals, as a church body, and as a larger body. Because if we have growth that we need to get more like Messiah, why isn't that our focus right now? Why is our focus on what somebody else is doing or what celebrations they keep or what name or calendar or cycle or how they keep Shabbat or whether they, they accidentally ate a marshmallow that had gluten or gelatin in it at one point in time or not. I know for a fact that Stephen and Leisha have been influential in our home because of how they eat. They eat in such a way that is healthy. They both study in the medical field. So we listen to their counsel and we take that. And we do good for sometimes, and then sometimes, you know, we, we add 20 pounds. So if, if I know that even on something that I actually want his counsel, he is he's an expert, it's as far as expert level over me than me. But if he is that, and I know that we already have some differences on what we think is we should do or shouldn't do with that. I can only imagine if we were to look at each and every one of us, our history, our path, where we've come from, how, what we believe in, and how we operate in that place. We're all different. We're all on a journey, and we're all at some different part of the journey. And do not be angry, and do not hit somebody over the head, and do not cause death or speak death over somebody who is at a different point in the journey than you are right now. Remember when you were at that point in the journey. Remember that person or those persons who came to you and pulled you up and locked arms with you and loved you and actually treated you like Messiah would treat you and treat them that way. Not like the person who you never want to see again. Not like the person who you can't fellowship with. Not like the person that you run and you hide when they come. We're supposed to get more like Messiah. 
And the only way we can do that is to first examine ourselves. Examine what we've said, what we've taught, what our witness is. All I want for Christmas is for us to become more like our Messiah. And I don't care whether you're a Baptist, whether you're a Pentecost, whether you are a Southern Baptist, a First Baptist, Third World Baptist, Messianic Hebrew Roots, Hebraic Roots, Sacred Namer, The Way, Judaism, 7, 8, 9, 10 versions of Judaism that they don't want to talk about and be honest. We need to start being honest with each other, guys. We need to start being honest about the scriptures. We need to start being honest as a community. We need to confess our sins to one another. We need to be able to pray for one another. We need to be able to act in a way that they would actually see that we are the disciples of Christ. Not the Roman crusades all over again where we're riding on our high horse with our swords, lopping off the ears of the Jews because they don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. This goes both ways. Both ways. One hand is the sword for the Jews. One hand is the sword for the Christians. And whatever we're doing, we're cutting. We have to use balance in how we approach our walk. And I know that's hard. And I can't tell you that I got it all figured out because I don't. But I'm trying. And I've got great accountability groups around me with guys like Daniel and Ephraim on a daily basis for us to continue to walk with each other to get better. And I, as a pastor, want that for you for your marriage, for your friendships, for your relationship with your children, and for this community. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the Sabbath. We thank you for your Son. We thank you for Yeshua the Messiah. Father, I publicly repent for the many, many times that I have used December 25th as a time to bring shame in how I have acted and spoke. Whether it be to people who, who are in your kingdom or not, Father, I don't know, only you know. Father, please continue to teach me and mold me and make me into the image of my Messiah that I would walk uprightly in the commandments of God, that I would walk uprightly in the parables of Yeshua, and I would do so exhibiting and bearing fruit in all the rhythms and cycles that you have given us. Father, forgive me for, for the years that I was so much more concerned with people around the country's walk and how they walked and what they did rather than focusing on my own heart, my own life, my own mind, and my own relationship with you. Forgive me, Father, for, for giving power to things that you never gave power to. Forgive me, Father, for giving control and mental space to things you never intended for me to do. Father, as, as I continue to grow as a husband, as a father, as a child of God, as a pastor, as a friend, I ask that you continue by the power of your Holy Spirit to reveal to us how to better judge matters through equal justice. Father, I love you with all my heart, and I thank you for all that you have done for us. For it's in Yeshua's name, amen.